and welcome to the LMA podcast featuring thought-provoking conversations with legal marketing and business experts. We hope you enjoy today's episode. Well, it's great to be here today with Heather. We're really excited to talk about something that I know we're both passionate about, which is what's going on from the client perspective. The voice of the client really drives what we like to say are the most important decisions and how to come up with the most important decisions about how you're going to invest in these valued relationships. So I'm Matt Slavin, partner at Wicker Park Group. I've been talking to clients, in-house counsel, and other executives for coming on 30 years since 1992, and first from a publishing perspective and now as a consultant to the industry, where we work with lawyers on client feedback and client listening programs, client service, and a variety of other client-facing engagements and projects. And uh, I'm here today with Heather. Heather, it's great to be here with you. Hey, Nat. Good to see you. Heather McCullough. I am a partner with Society54. We focus on training, technology, and talent for the legal industry. And similar to Nat, I've been in this industry for a minute, about 20 years now, working both inside law firms as well as in a consulting capacity to law firms across the U.S. and abroad. So now it's such a joy to be with you and just want to kick it off with what have we learned from in-house counsel in the past 12 to 18 months? Yeah, that's a big question, Heather, but it harkens back to something that Laura Stein said many years ago when she was still GC at Clorox, which is one size fits one. We say that all the time and it's really the mantra that we live by in our work. And I think that one size fits one concept is more significant than ever uncertainty on when and if in-house work life will ever look like it did pre-pandemic is a constant. In-house counsel are busier than ever, and that certainly benefits equally busy firms. But what that means more than ever is that outside counsel really need to understand what's going on in their client's world and their business. And just as a data point on that, we've conducted about 4,000 client feedback interviews since 2007, and we have about 9,000 electronic feedback interviews that we've done on top of that. And one of the things that you know, Heather, is that adding value really drives client loyalty. And we always explore from a client's perspective how outside counsel can add value to the relationship. And what's interesting is as we've tracked that, two, three years ago, about 70% of the clients unprompted said, understanding my business is the most important thing that an outside counsel can do to add value. As of through last year and into the first half of this year, it's now about 90% of the interviews we do, somebody unprompted says they need to understand my business. And that's beyond delivery of service and resources and managing expectations. So understanding the business and understanding the challenges that are going on at an individual level and the business really is top of mind. So I'm curious, Heather, what you're hearing both from in-house counsel as well as some of the law firms you've worked with on how they're tackling this. Absolutely. I wanted to share a a quick story based on what you just said about the one size fits one and knowing their business, but also knowing them and how they like to work. So I have a client working with currently a lawyer and works with a big company. And what he found was during the pandemic, working with everyone through Zoom, as we all are, he found one person on the in-house team was incredibly quiet in all of the meetings. And he couldn't quite figure out what was going on. Was this person upset with him? Was the person upset about what was happening, you know, as a result of some of the the legal issues that the team was facing? And so what he decided to do was after two or three meetings of noticing this person not speaking up, gave him a call and said, hey, I just want to check in with you, see how you're doing. 
I see that you've been very quiet in these meetings, you know, anything that I can be doing differently. And what he found out was this person just does not enjoy Zoom, doesn't enjoy this platform, doesn't enjoy speaking up in this kind of format. And so what they've discovered together is, all right, let's have a recap meeting post after everybody's on the Zoom, this person can remain quiet, but then the two of them can have a conversation afterwards. And I just think that really speaks highly to your one size fits one, knowing your client, knowing what they need, knowing what's most important to them and how they prefer to be communicated with and to be dealt with, I think is of utmost importance as even, I think we see an even greater need today for that. Yeah. It's something that we think about a lot and talked about a lot, the impact of Zoom on client relationships and the client experience. And We have pretty significantly and pretty regularly done all of our interviews by phone, where we were doing them in person and occasionally by phone. And at the end of almost every one of those interviews, sometimes we get a comment, oh, I was trying to figure out how to log on to the Zoom and then realized it was a phone call. And I haven't had a phone call in six months. This is such a joy. And it's there's actually some psychological realities that have been studied around the impact of Zoom. It's unnatural for us to stare at ourselves while we're in a meeting. We feel uncomfortable having a sidebar conversation, which we normally do. And we're not just looking at ourselves, but looking up and being on the entire time. We're not normally in that circumstance. So just as a best practice, give yourself permission to you know, turn away from the camera, jot down notes, et cetera, and maybe mix it up a little bit and have some phone calls. Yeah. What about that old phone? All right. So we know a little bit about what's been happening in the past 12 to 18 months. So you're gathering that feedback. But for some firms and some folks that are that are working for law firms, they don't even know where to get started. So maybe can you share with us now a little bit about how you start a feedback program? Yeah, I think that there's two or three different variables to consider. Who's going to do the feedback is kind of number one. Number two might be which clients you're going to talk to. And number three, and this is the most important thing, what are you prepared to do when you get the feedback? And that last thing is something that we always lead with because it's better to not ask for feedback than to ask for feedback and not have the resources, the disposition, the attitude, or the willingness to even act. And so just a small tip right there is there's a huge difference when you hear feedback and it's largely positive. And there's a huge difference between solving the situation that's uncovered in feedback or addressing the situation and actually acknowledging it. And what I mean by that is at the end of a conversation, if I'm interviewing a general counsel and I hear her say, you know, it's really important to us that we do X, Y, and Z with our outside counsel, that may be a challenge for the firm. So what I will advise my client, the law firm partner to do, and the client service team and the the BD team and the client care teams behind that is, let's just have a follow-up meeting on that specific agenda of what that client meant by making that point, get further into what that our expectations are, and then put together a brief plan. Well, we're going to do X, Y, and Z. It will take us probably six weeks, and we'll check in with you twice along the way to make sure we're still in the right direction. And so it's just a simple act on the follow-up side piece of it. It's just a simple action of acknowledging it's been heard, and then helping manage that expectations and clarify what they want to accomplish. And that's really important at the start of every feedback, because Once you set that tone at the firm and set that expectation with the client, it's a pathway to an ongoing conversation, not just a a moment in time. So we're going to dive in a little bit deeper into those steps that you just shared, but I would love to hear from you how you overcome any resistance. So often 
talking with clients, they say, I'd love to get this started. But every time I start to pitch it to my firm, they say, oh, well, we know our clients or, you know, I've been working with this person for 20 years. I know, I know what they want. There's no need for you or anyone else to go out and talk with them. And also I just use what they term my client versus exactly. the firm client. So any uh, ways to work around that resistance? Well, I think number one is this has to be led by leadership. And what that means is that leaders have to actually have their clients participate first. And if you can't get a firm-wide initiative started, pilot it with a group, pilot it with a practice or an industry group. Think about it. One thing that really we find to be helpful is when you think about who your clients are in a top internal list, so top 50 clients, that's usually defined by revenue. That's a whole different conversation. We're not, we don't have time to talk about today, but the top 10, top 15, top 20 clients get a ton of attention and there is a lot known about them. And so maybe you're looking at the second quartile, the 25 to 50, or you're looking at clients that are new to the firm or clients that are of laterals that are new to the firm. So identify some subsets where you can really move the needle and you're not going to find the resistance. So if somebody's not going to participate in an initiative, marginalize them. Just ignore them, get the people that are engaged along the way, have them participate. And then the key to this, and there's a couple of other points here, and I'll try and tick them off because you that was a big question you asked, but you have to market the benefits, the outcomes, and what you learn from feedback aggressively internally. You have to follow up with the clients. But also in terms of how to get it started, there's also kind of a generation of new partners, the 35 to 45-year-old cohort at the firm that they really want to know what's going on in their client's world. And they're not afraid to ask. So there is a generational aspect of this that is something to focus on. So there may be rising stars where the firm wants to invest in them. You may be coaching them, Heather, and part of coaching is having the client conversation. So is it leadership visits? Is it a third party? Is it training them on how to have meaningful client conversations. All of those are options. So again, one size fits one. Find the thing that works for you at your firm within the culture you live in. We love it when it's top down. That's not always going to be the case. Yeah. We always like to say work with the willing. That's exactly what you were just saying. So you touched on this for a second, and I'd like to dive a little deeper into the difference between a leadership visit versus a third-party visit for feedback. Pros, cons, good, bad. Give us some guidance there. Well, I think you mentioned something that's really relevant and important, which is that partner that says, I've known this client for 20 years. I know everything about them and what they need, so I don't need feedback. There's a couple of ways to continue to add value to those relationships. One is a leadership visit often we find is, yes, it's about demonstrating that you value the relationship, the firm values the relationship, and an ambassador, managing partner, chair of the firm going out and talking and meeting with the client. In those instances, we find oftentimes the clients as interested in learning about where the firm is investing. And so it almost gets, the table gets a little bit turned because if I'm the law firm chair and I'm going to go visit my client, I know that that client's going to say, how are you investing in talent? How are you investing in diversity? How are you investing in pricing models? How are you investing in all these other things beyond the delivery of legal services? I want to know what your strategy is, just like you want to know mine. And so that's one thing that happens in leadership visits that I think is surprising for firms that have never done it. The other 
challenge of a leadership business. And I know that my business partners, Laura and Tara, 20 years ago plus started their careers doing this exact thing. They went as the directors of client services at their firm, they went with the leadership to actually sit in the meeting and actually help listen. Because it is not a natural skill to interview someone, have a conversation with someone, track what they're saying, stay on agenda, ask the important questions, understand the goals of the partner from that interaction, and then take that all back to the firm. So if you're going to have the leadership visits, think about them slightly different than a true kind of independent third-party visit, where when we're doing these, Heather, you know, we can ask the naive question. Help me understand why you use one firm over another. What do you like about that firm? Well, tell me a little bit about your spend. Is it going up or down? And what what percentage of your market share? Those are all questions that we can eventually get to. And those are really meaningful. I think in a leadership visit, sometimes it's harder for them to ask those, what would be perceived as a slightly aggressive question. One more thing, and I know that this is something that you focus on as well, is when you train folks to go out and do their feedback, if they say, I want to go do it, my leadership is going to do this, is they're not trying to solve an issue in the moment. Yet that is their natural inclination, right? Is I've asked a question, they've responded, they're upset about something, or they have an extra need. Oh, I'm going to solve this in the moment. And so trying to navigate that where not when when you go out and do this, you don't have that inclination because you're a third party, you're neutral, and you're not trying to solve that problem or issue or concern in the moment. And I think, and you know this, Heather, probably every ounce of your being, when you're having those conversations, you do want to solve the problem. You want to just say, why can't we just do this? Why can't they do that? Why can't? And so you're right. It is not about solving the problems in the situation. One of the things that we really encourage when we're training leaders to go do a client visit is acknowledge what you've heard and then make a commitment to follow up and say, I really understand that. And let me get back to the relationship partner We'll have that conversation and we'll follow up with you because I know that this is something that we're interested in being a resource to you around, helping you in this way. It's maybe not on our radar, but thank you for bringing it to our attention. So be gracious, acknowledge it and make a commitment. And I think that goes a long way. People just want to be heard. And without going too far down a rabbit hole on this, one thing that often happens in addition to what you identified about solving a problem in the moment is it's really important in feedback to put greater context about something that is said. I would say just kind of subjectively, 90% of the feedback we get is positive. So that goes to your early, early point about how do you start a program when there's concern about what will be learned? This is a very positive thing. Firms tend to talk to their best clients, their best relationships. And if a client was not interested in continuing the relationship, they wouldn't even take the time to give the feedback. It has happened once where I've been in an interview where I found out during the interview that the firm had been fired, but the client had not yet told them. That's a whole different story for a different day. We'll have that conversation at some point, maybe at the LMA conference in March. But what the really important thing is to contextualize the feedback. So somebody may say, we had that issue. And the reason they bring it up is not because it's unresolved. It's because nobody actually took the time to check in with them along the way. And so people hold on to things. And the negative is something that's oftentimes a lack of understanding from their perspective. So it's interesting. And I would love to hear from you some of the things that come out of feedback. And what you said was it's predominantly positive. You know, that's what you hear. One time I heard from someone, it drives me crazy. So, you know, of course, my ears perk up when someone says it drives me crazy. It drives me crazy that my lawyers don't put in every signature block 
in their email. So when I get your next email, it just says Nat Slavin. It doesn't have how to contact you. So then I have to scroll down. That is an easy fix. Yep. Wow. And you take that back, you know, to your partners and you say, Hey, this client was a little irritated about this. They're not mad. It's not a huge undertaking, but it's something that over time might start to, you know, do more than irritate them. So I'm curious from you, any, any things that have come out of feedback that you've been able to take and and the firms have been able to implement? I love that example, Heather, of making sure your phone number's there, particularly in a remote world where people are on devices and contacts don't sync. And I was trying to get in touch with somebody the other day and in their email, it only had their office number. We actually were on a Zoom, got disconnected and I was trying to call them and it just went to their voicemail and I didn't have their cellular number or didn't roll over. Some of the things that we hear, well, so contextualizing this, we actually have a tool where we do sentiment analysis of all the feedback we get. So it's called clientele. It's a portal for firms to actually look at and analyze their feedback. And so we've really studied what's top of mind right now. And this won't surprise anybody, succession planning is massive. So during the last 18 months, partners that thought they were going to stay in the practice for a little bit longer have decided to leave early. People are given opportunities. It's a highly mobile marketplace and you can move and lead. So I'm not just talking about retirements, but I'm talking about what happens when a partner or an associate leaves and who's going to be in that relationship. That is massively important right now. The other thing that is is significant that I would say is probably top of the list of what we're hearing right now is how do we just stay up with the volume of work and how can firms help me with my pain points? So that goes back to understanding the business. And so we are in a long cycle of regulatory uncertainty that's continuing. And that's something where clients are, I have to stay abreast of state law, federal law, issues that are going to impact how we do deals, environmental, what's happening in a variety of different markets that we're involved in. And outside counsel have a perspective on this that we as the clients don't have because they're interacting with others. And so coming back to us with knowledge about what's happening in the marketplace if it's in real estate, what's you know market? If it's on a deal, what are some of the things that we should accept as risk? There's a variety of things around that that we're hearing. So marketplace intelligence, talent, top of the list. So that's the stuff that you're hearing from the feedback. And I love that you have this sentiment analysis that you're able to run. And, and probably it's probably very interesting to see how it changes year every year, right? What are the words or the terms that you're hearing yeah. more often? So you mentioned earlier that Don't do the feedback if you're not prepared to do something with that feedback as it relates to the client. So when you take this back to the firm, what is it that you, that you tell them to do? And one question that I'm always curious about is how, especially in this environment, how do you uncover what's not being said? Because often that might be more telling than actually the actual words that are coming out of their mouths. Yeah. So let me take the second part of that first. That's hard to do. You have to give somebody space. You have to ask clarifying questions. You have to ask qualifying questions and contextualizing questions. When somebody says something that sounds... Now, I have an advantage. You have an advantage. I mean, I've interviewed thousands of clients over the years. And I, can, I have a pretty good detector of when something sounds fishy. And again, as a third party, I could say, help me understand what you mean by that. Or I can contextualize it. You said it's an issue or a concern. What is the impact of that as an issue or a concern in how you work with the lawyer or the firm? 
And so there's questions that you can ask to keep the conversation going. And sometimes we hear, oh, you know, I bring it up because it's something that's on my mind, but it's never really impacted the relationship. That's really important information to get. So trying to dig deeper on these questions is really important and, and, and having them contextualize their response or the topic in a larger setting is equally important. The follow-up thing is really simple. And I'd love to hear some of the strategies that you all employ with the clients that, uh, with the lawyers you're working with in terms of follow-up, but it's, we make the action items really simple. They're almost always one, maybe two sentences. They're delivered in a bullet point fashion. And then we work with the client team, the CMOs, the marketing directors, heads of business development and clients at the firm to make sure that there's three things. What's the issue? What's the next step? And what's the deadline? So for every action item that comes out of feedback, it's those three things. And ironically, in every communication that outside counsel deliver to their clients, clients want the same thing. What's the issue? What's the recommendation? What's the next step? Give them bullet points. Well, we do the same thing when we deliver the feedback after they read the narrative of the context of what we've heard. What about you, Heather? What do you think are some of the best practices to build on on that? I would say that the only other thing that, I mean, obviously that is a best practice I would say the only other thing I would say is thank the client. Thank you for taking time to do this. You know, you were, you were valuable to us and that's why we wanted to get this feedback. So just making sure that whoever is the relationship partner or whomever is the person that needs to be in contact with them, that they thank this person for their generosity because time is so critical as we all know. And right now it feels like we have less and less of it. All right. Last question for you, Nat, because we're coming up on time. What do you think is going to be most important if you put on, you know, look at your crystal ball, what's going to be most important to our clients in the coming year, meaning the in-house counsel? It's a really big question. And I'm a little nervous about identifying any one thing, but I think transparency is critically important when you have, and what I mean by transparency is giving the clients and actually the firms have to do this internally as well. Why are we doing something? What's the process along the way? So often a lawyer, the training is research, 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 write a memo, and then deliver that. There's a lot of steps along the way that need to involve the client and tell them, here's our project plan. Here's why we are doing something. Here's what we expect to be the outcome. Does this still align with your goals and your needs? Because in a fast-moving world, clients' goals and needs may change, if not on a daily basis, certainly on a weekly basis. And staying ahead of those and understanding how the work that you're doing aligns with their initiatives, their goals, and their needs is critically important. And so the more transparent you can be and the more communicative you can be about the process, you don't want to overwhelm them with the details, but do things off the clock where you can share with them, this is what's important, this is what we're doing, this is why we're doing it, and this is how we're doing it. I would say from my perspective, we're seeing a lot you know, about the great resignation. So understanding sure. where your client's biggest needs lie with their lack of talent that maybe, you know, they may be having gaps in their, in their, on their team. And how can you help them best to manage through this? Because it's, it's a little painful at this point. 100%. Nat, how can people find you? Well, I am at Nat at wickerparkgroup.com. Our website's wickerparkgroup.com. I'm rarely on Twitter, but it, I'm at Nat Slavin and LinkedIn as well. Feel free to connect with LinkedIn. That's probably the thing that I use professionally to stay in contact with people the most. What about you, Heather? And before uh, you reveal, what did I miss on 
was there anything else? I know you talked about the great resignation and we talked about transparency. I brought that up, but is there anything in the, in the client feedback that universe that, that we haven't touched on or what you're seeing that law that are impacting law firms that our audience might be interested in hearing about? I think the only other thing that I think maybe we didn't dive in on deep enough and you mentioned it earlier is the importance of diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. I think that is certainly something our law firms are focused on and our clients have been focused on it for years. And so how do we align along those paths? And I think feedback is going to be critical for this. How are we doing? Are we, you know, are we aligning where we should align? And you're shaking your head. So I'm assuming that you've had some feedback regarding this as well. No, I'm so glad you brought that up. And I think the one piece of this that is be proactive with your clients and say, you know, we know that in the world that we live in today, diversity is important. What are your diversity goals? And if you don't have something in place, how can we help you build it? So a lot of times clients have initiatives, whether it's a diversity initiative, whether it's some contracts database, whether it's templates that need to be organized so they're consistent. There's always these pet projects. And I am not saying in any way, shape or form that diversity is a pet project, but there are initiatives that clients really struggle with because they don't have the time or the resources. And that's a way you can add value. So I really appreciate you bringing that up, Heather. So how do we get in touch with you? Heather at society54.com, society54.com online. I am also on LinkedIn and I've really enjoyed this conversation now as well as our previous conversations. Likewise, Heather, it's great to spend this time with you and share your wisdom with the LMA audience. That concludes another installment of the LMA podcast. To discover all that LMA has to offer, visit legalmarketing.org. For links to content featured in this episode, please check out the show notes. If you like the podcast and want to help others find us, we hope you'll take the time to subscribe to it and rate us on iTunes. Thank you and have a great day.